It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts a platter with a fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the citizens of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. Like it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Aha, and here's that mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Yep, you're here. Uh, do you remember <laughs> where we got that little clip from? Oh, was that from a movie? Yeah, it was a movie called The Horrible Dr. Bones. <laughs> and listen, guys, if you're going to be out there and picking a pen name for yourself for goodness sake google it first you never know what you're going to find for the first six months or a year after i started writing about medical preparedness and we started doing our medical preparedness thing Mm -hmm. if you looked us up you'd find the horrible dr bones a 1991 (laughs) um zombie flick really zombie yeah Yeah. crazy zombie (laughs) it was pretty amazing well this is the hour of doom and bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a mysterious minute of mindfulness in a miserable world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find a thousand, wow, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And, and this. And I am Amy Alton. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And truly the hostess with the mostest. <laughs> we are indeed the prodigious pair, the courageous couple, and we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. And boy, things may indeed be falling apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a felonious ferret, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available, please. Ah, but whenever is never and wherever is nowhere, well, you know what? Are you going to know what to do? Or are you just going to be a looky-loo? Well, you know what? It's time to prove to the world that you've got more sense than a basket of badgers by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. 
And you know what? While you're at it, why don't you get some supplies and maybe a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? What better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical <laughs> kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Our stuff is going to help you handle medical issues that you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by, guess who? That's right, yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our stuff for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's, and, well, I think you'll agree, our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us, obviously. So hurry, Murray, reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's so easy. It's so easy. I knew you were going to sing that. Oh, it's so easy. (laughs) Yep. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Like and follow our page, Doom and Bloom, on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. Well, I'll tell you something that Southern California cannot catch a break. Enjoy a sunny climate, get wildfires, and all the way to Christmas, and then... Wish for rain. I think a lot of people probably wished for rain. It was probably their Christmas wish so they could stop having wildfires. It's been an insane year. I think we've done at least a couple of shows on just just on that. I'll tell you. And California has had its share. That's for sure. And what happens, of course, you're going to talk about is everything gets eroded. Right. Where does the water go? Exactly. The ground gets charred also. Explain and this to us. Here well, we go. What happens is, is the ground gets charred, uh-huh. and when it gets charred, it is not as absorptive, I guess, of the... Absorptive? <laughs> That's a tongue twister there. Right. But it makes sense. It sort of has um, almost like a, a sheen on it. If you can right. think about like a, a, a shiny edge, and instead of being a sponge that just soaks that water into the roots yep. of the vegetation that was there... There's there, nothing yeah. sucking it in. It just psh, it flies is away. Exactly, and makes uh, flash floods in some places and mudslides in others. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the record-setting wildfires lasted all the way to, to late December. Well, sure enough, the first big rain caused a major mudslide, killed more than 15, I think 17 people now, Many others missing. Wow! And in, and of course destroyed a number of homes, probably several dozen homes. Um, I am not sure if it's true, but what I heard was that a lot of people refused to evacuate. Wow! And that's what happened. They just ignored the evacuation orders. Well, that is a big mistake. Whenever you have crazy, heavy rains, you should always have that. Radio on, you should always make sure that you're keeping an eye Follow on. directions. I mean, right. I think it's as simple as, what did we learn in kindergarten? I mean, I think that's one of the big lessons of kindergarten is follow, learn how to follow directions. Right. And when you leave, you know, just get in the car with your go bag and that's it. Don't worry about the other stuff. The other stuff is just, well, stuff. Even though right? it has memories yes. and it's it's terrible to lose things that remind you of, of better times or, or good times in your life. But it's just a physical thing. And your memories you can keep forever if you're alive. If you're not alive, those go away. That's exactly it just, right. It, it's not worth losing your life over a few physical items. And you certainly cannot stop a mudslide. 
No matter what you do, it moves buildings, cars, people. It's like a river of wet concrete and in, it moves in some slowly. cases. slowly. Yeah, it can Which move. Is crazy. Although this one had so much water uh-huh. involved with it that it actually was a relatively fast moving one. Oh, that's yeah, even worse. There's uh, different kinds of mudslides based on the amount of water content. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So far, rescue teams, by the way, in Southern in California are still searching for survivors. Hopefully, they'll find some people. Uh, I probably we probably should write more about landslide events. Gosh, we live part time in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They have a mountain home overlooking town. We've seen them, sure, and right, and and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. When we drive through the uh, national park, we see areas where the trees are gone as a result of a mudslide and or uh, some time ago. Not only are the trees gone, but you can tell the road's been repaired. So the scary thing is if somebody was on the road at that exact moment when that landslide or mudslide came through, oh yeah, th- there could have been some fatalities. I mean, it's, it's very scary, and it's, it happens so quickly. Right. right, and we live on a slope just like that. And I'll tell you one thing. You would not want to take a dive off our deck. No. <laughs> be, you would break your neck. Absolutely not. Now, one, another thing that they uh, – said was an issue about why more people were killed was there's no sound. There's some snapping and crackling, I guess, from the trees and movement. But that loud, almost roar that a wildfire has that kind of says, hey, something bad is coming, doesn't necessarily exist with these mudslides. But there are some quieter. There are some signs that you might be able to tell that there's going to be an impending event. We're going to talk about that in a second. A mudslide... Sometimes it's called a debris flow or a mud flow, mm-hmm. and it's a landslide with a high water content. They act like essentially a, a river of wet concrete if the mud's thick, and otherwise it acts like a flash flood, both of which are terrible things to happen. Muds, r- Mud, rocks, trees, other large objects are carried along. I saw a picture of large boulders that were on the road as... Uh, a mudslide had passed through, leaving just mud and these huge, huge boulders that you would think wouldn't budge for eons. They probably hadn't budged for eons until the mud, mudslide came. And I'll tell you, the, it's so powerful it can cause homes to collapse. Huge amount of traumatic injury, as we're seeing in California. Uh, uh, a mud flow is a slightly different. It's a very rapid and that's probably what they had here. A mud flow is more liquefied because of all the rain that occurred in a short period of time. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, a third of the rainfall in Southern California, when the rains finally came, right. occurred in five minutes. No way. Yes, five minutes. It's it's amazing. That's crazy. You know, it's something I didn't else. hear that. That is absolutely amazing. So we have a number that's, of deaths. That gives new meaning to the heavens opening up. Yes. When, the, when people talk about heavy rains, all the heavens opened up. That that seriously opened up. So the rainfall is indeed, sure enough, the most likely reason. Of course, snow melt can do that, saturate mm-hmm. the ground, cause instability in sloping areas. Uh, there are areas prone to earthquakes, California there. But also hurricanes and wildfires and other natural disasters are very susceptible. And, and we said about how the soil had been charred mm-hmm. and caused it to become less absorptive. Well, if you and look at what, if you look at a piece of charcoal, mm-hmm. you know, from wood, like say the Tennessee fires that we experienced uh, near our home, 
when we went back to visit that area, we saw a lot of charred trees. And if you look at it, it the wood is actually shiny. Oh, yeah. So you can imagine that in, you know, masses of piles of ash and and areas of just charred trees, it's it's shiny and you could, it's very slippery. It's the water could just stuff. slip right over that entire area. So let's say once you've built, let's say, your home on a hillside, with, well, like we did, there's a limited <laughs> amount of preventative measures that can be taken. There are some things, we'll talk about that, but it's a different story when you're planning it out. So we want you to think about, if you're thinking about dream building a dream home on the mountain, I want you to beware of steep slopes, uh-huh. natural or man-made runoff conduits. Those kind of things are a big issue. And, uh, of course, any eroded areas. So mm-hmm. you can see areas of erosion. Those are areas where the water's going to go and the mud's going to go. Well, in and- these eroded areas that we did have seen in Tennessee, they took a special uh, spray of grass seed. And apparently this grass seed has, like, really good roots and they sprayed it along the edges of the roads, right. the highways. In the spring, they had this high grass that was gone by the fall. it was bright green. Remember yeah, the was color? Bright, right. It was like, almost it like a neon. It didn't look real. Yeah, it didn't look real. That's from the wildfires, but yeah. But I think what they were uh, obviously trying to do is prevent the erosion so that they wouldn't have any mudslides over all of the roads out there in Gatlinburg and Sevierville. Now, one thing that I think is really important is to have the county geologic survey team assess your property for the risk of mudslides. Mm-hmm. I hope they did that when they built our house. We didn't buy it brand new, uh, pretty new, but it, we didn't buy it brand new. So mm-hmm. I assumed that that had happened and that they we gave it the okay. <laughs> we should definitely see whatever happened with that. Now, uh, things that you should do is you may consider building a retaining wall. Uh, that's in, in areas that are likely mudslide channels. You might consider flexible pipe fittings uh, installed by the pros, please, that are less prone to gas or water Mm -hmm. leaks. Uh, Maybe avoid areas that have experienced mudslides in the past. Uh, And make sure one thing that's very important is you always have to have an evacuation route. You should have two, actually, in case one of them is actually blocked blocked by, by debris. That's, and that's not always that's possible. It's not like you can go and build roads anywhere you want. Exactly. Some people are trapped, that, unfortunately, by the road system that they happen to have built their house. Maybe they're at the end of a road. Right. Some the of end these of a cul-de-sac. Mo- right. Some of these mountain uh, homes, especially ones one, high up, there's one, one way, way in and one, one way, way out. out. Yeah. Yeah. It's you a don't problem. You don't have much of a choice there. Now, of course, you should have uh, non-perishable food. You should have water. You should have a battery-powered NOAA radio. Uh, First have, aid supplies. Right, a med- good medical kit. Absolutely. I know where you can get one. Yes. Uh, at doom, net and, and other kinds of items that may help you uh, sterilize water, things like that. Now, let's talk about some of the warning signs that your home is going to be at risk. And uh, sometimes it's important to know that pressure from unstable earth is going to give you a hint of trouble or two. Uh, and make sure that you have an idea that things are on the way, but you've got to keep an eye on things. You have to be aware of what's happening. Mudslide-prone areas are going to show signs of strain. That strain will uh, manifest itself as cracks developing and flooring and paving, driveways, uh, foundations, walls sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Outside structures begin to separate from buildings. So if you have stairs on the outside of your house, 
maybe leading to the second floor. Mm -hmm. They begin to separate from buildings. You start having problems opening your doors or opening your windows. They start getting jammed because of little changes that have occurred. Uh, utility lines start breaking. Fences, trees, utility poles start tilting. This all sounds terrible. And this is some of the, this is some of the stuff we actually saw in the hurricane. Yeah. Um, water starts accumulating in strange places. If that's happening, then you know that there's definitely something going Something's on, probably right. under under the ground. And water starts um, uh, mm -hmm. break. Uh, or I'm sorry, the roads and embankments along slopes start breaking off at the edges. We see that all the time. Yes, we do in Tennessee. Don't yes, we, in Gatlinburg. little fractures of road pieces that have fallen off, and that shows that there is some strain on that part of the road. And oh, there you got problems. Just say my prayers That's as I'm right. going over those areas. <laughs> well, <laughs> please, Lord, help me get through this part. <laughs> and of course, if the terrain goes from flat to to bulging a little bit or slanting a little bit, things like that. These are some of the things that you can expect as a hint that something is about to happen. Something's not right. Or, or at least will happen in the future. Right. Uh, so turn on, and when it happens, turn on to no radio, listen to warnings as they're reported. Warn, speaking of warning, warn your neighbors that there are areas that are uh, imminently in, or maybe in line uh, of a, a possible mudslide. Right, be a good community right. person. Right, And if, for goodness sake, if you think that you're in the line of a mudslide, Get out of Dodge if at all possible, and just understand the roads may be washed out. So have a quick trigger point. In other words, when they tell you, the second they tell you to leave, grab Get, your go, go bag go, and go go, 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 and have that go bag ready Absolutely. at all times. That is so important. Good and, plan. And areas, and if there was a mudslide in a certain area and it's near where you want it to go, maybe you should rethink it because new mudslides may still occur and they'll often, often occur near the old one. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you don't have time to evacuate, that, that... That sounds very scary. That is really scary. But if you do stay home, get to the second story if you have one. Watch out for... Uh, down power lines, avoid them at all costs. Uh, as the slide passes through, get under a table, curl into a ball, protect your head. Mm. If you're trapped in the mud, survival rates do go up if you can form an air pocket around you. So hold That's your like hand, snow. hold your arm, right? It's like the an same avalanche. idea as right. an avalanche. Right, and so just hold your, you know, hold your hands and your arms in front of you to give you some space in front of your face that you so you might be able to breathe mm -hmm. of course you should carry a cell phone with you at all times you take advantage of the uh, high technology we have these days because if even even if power is down that satellite radio uh, satellite phones may be on or, or towers may be working you might be able to get get help right if you're in an area that you think there's a problem get a noisemaker or a whistle or something like that have that in you uh, on you and uh, that's something that you could also use that might make a little more noise than you're just yelling. So mudslides are like wildfires, but in in that they leave scars on the land. But remember, the or they all this stuff is just part and parcel of living with Mother Nature. You got to plan before you build. You got to know the danger signs. You got to hit the road if at all possible in the face of an imminent threat, and just. Go, go, go. That is the main thing. Get out of Dodge if you possibly can, if there's any possible way you can do it. Um, 
I wanted to talk just a little bit about antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Now, getting a lot of people asking about antibiotics. Uh, I I wrote the original column on uh, aquarium antibiotics a long time ago as an option in a survival setting. And, of course, I'm talking about survival settings, not everyday life. And a lot of the questions we feel during our speaking engagements are related to the stockpiling of medicines. And so what fish medicines are equivalent to human versions? What illness is each one used for? How much to take? Can children take them? There isn't really a 60-second answer to these questions. Actually, there's not a 60-minute answer to this. But anyone who's interested in preserving the health of their loved ones should stockpile antibiotics as part of their medical storage. If you're a prepper, you should have some antibiotics in your medical supply. And and it's important to start off by saying that you're not going to want to indiscriminately use antibiotics for every minor minor ailment that comes along Uh, in a collapse. The medic is going to be a quartermaster. You're going to have to have a limited amount of this stuff and you have to wisely dispense it because it is life-saving and it is a very precious and limited supply no matter how much you can able to connect, uh, accumulate. Uh, uh, liberal use of antibiotics is also a, a poor strategy for uh, a lot of reasons. It fosters the spread of resistant bacteria. Right. Antibiotics uh, routinely given <clears throat> to turkeys recently caused the strain of uh, salmonella. It put over 100 people in the hospital, and they had to recall 36 million pounds of ground turkey. Wow. Uh, uh, potential allergic reactions can occur that can lead to shock. Anaphylaxis, we've written about that a number of times and talked about that on this show. Uh, Making a diagnosis may be more difficult if you give antibiotics before you're sure what medical problem you're actually dealing with. The antibiotics might temporarily mask the symptoms, and it could cost you valuable time in figuring out what the actual correct treatment should be. So having said all this, not having antibiotics in your storage still might result in the unnecessary death of members of your group in survival situations due to uh, infections that are incurred from minor injuries, let's say. An infected cut from chopping wood, you probably don't do that on a daily basis, and so you may not be an expert at it. It it can travel, that kind of infection travels to the circulation and causes a life-threatening condition called septicemia. And um, there was a History Channel series called After Armageddon, Mm -hmm. and this was the cause of death of a guy that was a practiced EMT, a licensed EMT, because he didn't have antibiotics in the survival community's medical storage. So it was a, a real tragedy. Uh, now, you can see the judicious use of antibiotics in survival situation under the medic's close supervision is really important to fully utilize their benefits. Always discourage your group members from using medicines without first consulting you. Remember, you're going to be in charge of making these difficult decisions to parcel out your limited medical supplies, so you got to use them wisely. That, I think, is important. We're going to talk more in the future about um, different types of antibiotics, but I want to just say just for a, a few seconds, how did I wind up being the guy that wrote about this stuff and how did all this, I guess there's almost like an industry uh, of fish antibiotics. I don't sell them. We don't sell them on our website or anything like right. that. We do have a, a company that uh, has sponsors. Ad, sponsors yeah. us. But, but we don't have any financial uh, connection with them. So, so how, did I start, how did I start writing about fish antibiotics in the survival settings? 
Well, I'm a pretty unusual bird in that uh, I'm both a physician and an aquaculturist. I used to raise tilapia in ponds uh, for food, and I so still... wait, should that be that you're an unusual fish then? I'm yes, I'm an unusual <laughs> fish in that I instead used to raise an, fish instead of an unusual bird. Right. right? <laughs> we still have a pond, and we still have a, a nice aquarium. Um, as a doctor, of course, I treated humans with antibiotics when it was appropriate. But when my fish got fin rot or some other bacterial disease of fish, I would use antibiotics for them too. Uh, usually, something called fish mox. Then, and of course, when my human patients need an antibiotic, I might use amoxicillin. I didn't think about it for years. As a matter of fact, to be honest, uh, I didn't even think about it twice until I started getting interested in medical preparedness. And sure enough. Indeed, it turns out that there are a lot of similarities between some of these aquarium antibiotics and uh, even avian bird antibiotics. We have an African gray parrot, and they were very similar to human antibiotics. And so we looked at a number of things with regards to, to let's take fish mox as an example. Fish mox uh, is, only it is only produced in human dosages, which is pretty weird. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing in. in I mean, you cannot get a guppy's dose of, or a shark, or white great white shark's dose of fish, fish mox. It's all in 500 milligrams or 250 milligrams, which is the human dosage. Well, on top of that, there's only one ingredient in the whole thing. There's nothing related to fish there or birds. Nothing that makes your feathers shiny. Nothing that makes your scales uh, brighter or your or your fins longer. It just has one antibiotic, uh, one an, um, ingredient. That's the antibiotic itself. In this case, was amoxicillin 500 milligrams. And then, if you do the acid test, basically find a bottle of amoxicillin that's made by, in this case, Deva Pharmaceuticals, and a bottle of Fishmox, a 500 milligram version. And sure enough, it was the human version is a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. And the fish version was a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. What does that tell you? Same thing. That's right. Well, I found ding, about ding, ding. we found about twelve <laughs> antibiotics like that, exactly identical in appearance, down to the identification numbers, as a, as a human antibiotic made by at least one pharmaceutical company. Only one ingredient, the antibiotic itself, and only produced in human dosages. And that doesn't mean that every Animal antibiotic, I'm sure a lot of your horse medicines are not going to be acceptable uh, or have other, and they might have other ingredients or they're certainly not in the dose that you would want them to have. But this makes it simple because you already have these medicines in human dosages. Now, remember, I'm talking about times of trouble, situations in which there is only, only you as the high, as, at, as the end of the line with regards to your family's well-being because there's no hospitals, no doctors. And if that's the case, then you got to take over. You got to pick up the flag. And if you do pick up the flag, just remember that you need to have antibiotics in your medical storage. You need to have bandages. You need to have over-the-counter medicines. You need to have pretty uh, uh, tourniquets. You need to have things, everything that can handle trauma, but it can also handle Things as sim simple and mundane as, gosh, anti-diarrhea medicines. So just remember that these are some of the things you should do. We're going to be talking more in future shows about individual antibiotics 
and how they would be used. Of course, you can find all this information in our Survival Medicine Handbook. Make sure you get the third edition. It's called the Survival Medicine Handbook, the Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. And if you can, I think that if you can get that and you can get some supplies and spend a little time and effort learning about these things, you can be effective as a medic in times of trouble. You had too much time left. Hey, you know, I'm a little concerned about North how North Korea <laughs> and how things are going with regards to that. And we have really, really spent a lot of time writing on American Survival Radio, our uh, current events podcast, about the possibility of all this saber-rattling turning into something physical or something in real in terms of an event that may involve a military conflict. And if there is a military conflict between North Korea and the United States, there is go- it is going to be an absolute mess. We may have to get involved within 2018 is going to tell, what, but we really have to be concerned about some of the things that are coming out of the mouths of that this guy, Kim, Kim Jong-un. And one of the things is that he has mentioned and his scientists have mentioned that they are now capable of putting together an electromagnetic pulse attack against the United States. Now, that is bad news because an electromagnetic pulse attack is something, as you can imagine, that is going to be very, very dangerous and going to do a lot of damage to the United States, not by frying us or incinerating us, but by turning off the electrical grid and having us at each other's throats for uh, the foreseeable future. And I'll tell you, it just... They say that we're only two or three weeks away from being cannibals if the grid goes out, and I hope that I'm wrong with regards to that, but I'll tell you, it is a definite possibility. We have a, a Canadian newspaperman who wrote an article that was on Fox News with regards to it. He wrote a book about it as well, and it's coming out in the very, very near future. I want you to take a look out, uh, out for it. And we're going to talk to him. We're going to say hello to him and talk to him with regards to his book and to the risks involved in with EMPs. We'll do that after just a few minutes. Hi, I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of the award-winning survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, and co-author of the bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook. As a medical doctor, I know how important it is to have knowledge, but you'll need supplies if you're going to save lives in a disaster. We've got an entire line of medical kits for every homestead, retreat, workplace, vehicle, church, school, just about any purpose you might imagine, and they're all put together by a real MD and nurse practitioner. Other kits are fine when the ambulance is on the way, but when you're the end of the line with regards to your family's well-being, you'll be a more effective medical asset with kits and supplies uniquely designed for tough times and packed in the USA. Prepare your family for any disaster with medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Make medical kits by Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy a part of your medical storage. You'll be glad you did.
As you might know, I'm concerned about North Korea's threats to go, well, literally ballistic on us. And one scenario involves something called an electromagnetic pulse or EMP. Now, one type of EMP occurs as a result of a nuclear explosion high in the atmosphere. Now, this doesn't kill people simply from the blast, but destroys electrical infrastructure and as a result, possibly an entire society. Dr. Peter Pry of the now disbanded EMP Commission communicated with me recently, and among other things, he said that I deeply regret that after 17 years, the EMP Commission has not been able to persuade Washington to protect the American people from the existential threat that is EMP. I regret even more keenly that Washington is so broken that it cannot muster the common sense and political will to do what is necessary. Our guest today is Anthony Fury, a national columnist for the Sun newspaper chain in Canada. You can also see his work in Time, the New York Times, uh, the New York Daily News, I'm sorry, and other well-known publications. And he has appeared on BBC, Fox News, and many other media outlets. Anthony Fury's new book, Pulse Attack, the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America, tells you all about electromagnetic pulse warfare. Anthony, are you there? Hey, Joe. Yeah, here. Glad to be here. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Anthony, yeah, you wrote an article. Oh. Thanks for coming on the show. Anthony, you wrote an article for Fox News recently that outlines the risks to North America about the detonation of a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere. Now, you're a sensible journalist, I hope, working for a respected media outlet. Why did you decide to write about this previously way out topic, not just an article, but an entire book? Well, great question, Joe. And a couple years ago, I met with a former head of the CIA to talk about the Iran deal, Obama's uh, Iran deal, and some criticisms about that and so forth. And at the end of the meeting, uh, the, the former director said to me, hey, do you have a minute? I want to talk to you about this thing I'm trying to raise awareness for, electromagnetic pulse warfare. And, and you know, Joe, I'd heard about it maybe once or twice kind of in passing, and I just didn't think much about it, you know, positively or negatively or anything. It just hadn't been on my radar. And a few minutes conversation turned into well over an hour, and I had what was a master class in this subject, and my jaw just dropped. And I thought, I can't believe more people in the mainstream aren't talking about this. I, I was still a little bit skeptical. I mean, this is a very high-level, credible source, but I went and I did my research. The more I researched it, the more I realized just how alarming and serious this is and how many people in the prepper community and the survivalist community who have been talking about this – these are folks who are ahead of the curve. So I set forth to, to write a book really for the general public and the mainstream audience to say, come on, guys, this thing is real, and it is really to our peril that we're not talking about it more. You're absolutely right, and I'm, I am personally very concerned about it, and, and it's theoretically a low likelihood possibility, but not so much anymore. Now, what aspects of normal modern existence could be affected by a nuclear EMP? Well, pretty much everything. Uh, we live in what, as, as I call it in a chapter in my book, headline, the electronic civilization. We live in an era where everything is electronics. I just got a new car. I was driving a, a 2007 for, since then, and now I got a 2018. And this thing is just like a giant computer. And you realize, man, we, we, we can't do anything uh, without electronics. But with an atmospheric EMP, if it's done successfully, this creates this sort of gamma ray waveform interaction, a gamma ray that goes through a waveform that goes through uh, the atmosphere and hits anything within line of sight. And depending on how it hits, 
this could disrupt the entire electronic grid. And you think, oh, okay, well, that means we can't use our iPhone uh, for a few hours until we get it back and set up. It means we just have to go read a book. Hold on a second. Electronics controls our water. It controls cleaning our water, getting it to us, the regional food hubs. The whole fact that we live in cities is because we have the electronics to allow us to do it. It would basically mean we would live like we lived in 1850 before the Industrial Revolution, and you couldn't sustain a whole population base that we have today with 1850s technology. You're right, although interestingly enough, in the 1850s, in 1859, as a matter of fact, there was a solar EMP that actually hit. I mean, of course, we had very, very little uh, electrical infrastructure at that point, as you can imagine, but we did have telegraph lines, and sure enough, the telegraph lines were disrupted throughout the entire country, and that was in 1859. So you're you're absolutely right. Even even in a situation where we think we're ready, we're actually going to be thrown back right into the middle of the 19th century, just as you say. Now, why has this event become so possible? Isn't there an agreement? not to detonate nuclear bombs in the atmosphere? What, what has changed that has made this now something that even skeptics are concerned about? Well, yeah, when I first wrote my book, Pulse Attack, uh, to your point earlier saying this is a low probability event, it was a cautionary tale going, guys, why aren't we looking into this more? Uh, we get insurance on our homes, even though the odds of our house catching fire are very low. People buy lottery tickets, even though it probably ain't going to happen. There are people who uh, do specialized research in obscure forms of cancer, and we don't criticize them for doing that, even though those cancer rates are very low. We want to know all we can about every threat. So regardless of the probability, the threat is real. Why aren't we looking into it? Well, time out, though. One second. September 6, North Korea does their most recent nuclear detonation, their underground explosion. And afterwards, they come out with this press release, uh, grandstanding and talking about how great it was and successful as they usually do. One thing a lot of my colleagues in the mainstream media missed, though, was at the bottom of that release, Kim Jong-un says, and guess what? We now have the ability to do an EMP attack, and we plan to do it against the United States. And I saw this, I thought, whoa, I can't believe this is not the headline story. The first time ever that a world leader has threatened another country with an EMP attack. So the probability, Joe, just skyrocketed, and this thing became real fast. Uh, a real in the worst possible kind of way, especially in the hands of uh, saber rattler like uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. So I think that this is really now one of the most likely things that is going to happen. I, I can't imagine that uh, Mr. Ung, uh, Jong-un with his uh, toys, I mean, he's basically like a kid with a, a hand grenade. And one day I think he will pull the pin. The question is when. Now, what would you estimate Anthony, to be our level of preparedness for such an event at the moment? Well, I'll tell you, I did a lot of research both for America and for Canada, where I'm based out of Toronto. I can tell you in Canada, it's you know 0.5%. It is absolutely atrocious. In the United States, things are a little better. You know, they're not 0.5%. They're, they're 2%, you know, uh, fractionally better. I, I know that there's been attempts to harden Cheyenne Mountain, where our NORAD facilities are based, which is, which is great. Uh, obviously, we watch the skies there to make sure there are not other uh, nuclear attacks incoming. So if you can protect the homeland from nuclear attacks, that's a great thing. And there are conflicting reports about what degree of military assets and military infrastructure is hardened from an EMP 
blast. They take these things very seriously, and, and people who worked on these Starfish Prime detonations back in the early 60s have gotten in touch with me since I wrote the book and the Fox News piece to tell me about what they were doing and the secret labs still classified information. But even if all, all the military assets are hardened, and I, I, I do not believe they all are, zero of our civilian infrastructure is protected. The, the stuff and the people that the military is looking to protect. So you're talking about still tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people who might see if their local transformer station goes down, a lack of power for days, weeks, or in the worst case scenario, many months that stretches into the year. Civilian infrastructure is just not protected. And there have been a number of examples out there of a lot of uh, regulators and utility companies just looking to pass the buck. And that's the great scandal. You know, we have no definitive structure or no definitive authority that, uh, that has any power with regards to funding for a protection of the grid type project. Even our military infrastructure is connected to civilian infrastructure unless they have their own electrical grid that is separate from ours. I don't know that that's the case. Matter of fact, I doubt that that's the case. So I think that even our military infrastructure would be affected by damage to the civilian one. So it is pretty amazing that we're so mired in inaction regarding what seems to me an existential threat to North America. You know, it's a great point, Joe. And what I don't get, you mentioned Dr. Peter Pry, and I have a chapter in the book talking about his personal story. I also have a chapter in the book talking about uh, Andrea Boland, who is a, a state representative uh, from uh, the state of Maine, and she's a Democrat, and she's really serious about this issue. So we know that this is an issue that people on all sides of the political aisle have interest in when they learn about it, when they get passionate about it. We've also seen all the different estimates about costs. You, we'll hear about some government project reforming this or that, and the price tag is many billions of dollars. They still somehow might manage to find the money for it. Uh, the costs for this and the regulatory burden for this are very minor. Most of the recommendations are that, okay, when your parts and your electrical grid come up for renewal in the next few years and so forth, can you get them renewed with EMP compliant parts, which might only cost a few dollars more than the parts you currently have, if that. So it's not like this is a major overhaul. It's actually a pretty easy fix for all the sort of uh, concerns and the, the sort of seemingly science fiction tale of everything that could go wrong, even though it's entirely science backed, the solution is actually pretty boring and run of the mill. I don't understand why they're not doing it. I think what it is is that the uh, military considers it to be a civilian infrastructure issue, so they don't want to take charge of it. The uh, civilian authorities or let's say the National Energy Reliability Corporation or the North American Energy Reliability Corporation uh, considers it to be a national security issue, so they don't believe that it's their responsibility. And certainly the utilities don't want to spend any money more than they need to. I mean, their responsibility is to their shareholders and their rate payers. Uh, and I believe that we just have no idea who should be in charge of this. And this is something that I think has really caused us to be just weak. And certainly I can't imagine that there's any international participation in, or any international cooperation between the U.S. and Canada on this. It's probably not even on the radar. No, it's not. All the research I've done shows that a lot of these organizations don't even understand. We have these freedom of information laws like you do in the U.S. where I was getting documents on what the Canadian government knows about. And a lot of times they even have to call me and say, sorry, we, we don't even understand your basic question. 
that's how alarming it is. And, you know, Joe, you make a great point that the, the civilian military stuff and they want to pass the buck to each other. Uh, the main thing I've learned from just being a, a political columnist in general is that politics is downstream from culture. You're not going to get any action from the so-called experts. You're not going to get any action from the elites. The people have to demand the action. And it, it's, a, it's a blessing that the survivalist community and the preppers out there understand this in detail and they're calling for action. They're doing things about it. It needs to get out to the general public because once those folks start speaking about it, then you're going to get a critical mass building. Well, that actually, that comes to my – that really feeds into my next question, which is how has your book been received by the general public? How has your work and, and writings about EMPs been received by those people that so far really haven't been paying attention? Well, you know, I think for a lot of people it's been eye-opening, and I'm pleased that the Senate of Canada invited me up to speak uh, to them, to a number of senators up there on the issue, and, and, and all across the aisle, bipartisan senators came and listened, and I, I was really glad to see that, and there were calls to declassify what the Canadian government knows. Unfortunately, not much is going to be released when they are declassified. As you know, Joe, there's this weird sort of thing out there where some people want to call this you know, not true or a conspiracy theory or what have you, and then when you ask them, what do you talking about they actually can't back it up they maybe just end up saying oh the likelihood of this is pretty low well the likelihood of most horrible things happening are pretty low that doesn't mean we shouldn't be talking about it as i said i looked at all the documents dating back for you know the 40s the manhattan project in the 60s the starfish prime sourcing new freedom of information stuff and and the body of evidence is just amazingly there this is not up for debate. The only thing that's up for debate really is how severe will it be, how resilient are, is technology today compared to in the 1960s, and the answer to that isn't just to turtle and ignore the question. The answer is, well, let's research it more, get the government, the universities, uh, you know, well-educated individuals, and get some best practices going so, so we can learn from it. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're able to speak to some of the political figures up in Canada. Uh, did you ever get the feeling from any of them that your fear-mongering, that is a, a common accusation that is leveled at people like us who, who speak about these types of society-ending events. Yeah, and Yeah, I, I certainly do. And sometimes I go on other radio shows or speaking public forums, and people ask that question, and I say, well, read the book or read all the other information that's out there. And the articles, I don't know what to tell you. It's government documents. It's university laboratory documents. There is no doubt as to the fact that electromagnetic pulse is a real thing. There's no doubt that uh, Russia did it in the 1960s over Kazakhstan, that it happened uh, above Hawaii in the 1960s. There's zero doubt that uh, Kim Jong-un is threatening to do it and wants to do it. we got to talk about this. The fear-mongering angle is, is bizarre. It's like somebody saying, like I said, oh, make sure you get uh, home insurance. Make sure you get car insurance. Oh, you're fear-mongering about being in a crash. no. We obviously hope for the best, but we prepare for the worst, and that's all this is. Well, that is the uh, prepper motto there, so you certainly uh, encapsulated that very well. I just want to say that society and general public is is paralyzed by something called normalcy bias, and normalcy bias states that, well, every day is going to proceed like the previous day simply because it always has, and when it doesn't, when something actually occurs that's a black swan event or, or something that is, well, life-changing, well, we're paralyzed. And so we're, par- we're going to be paralyzed after an event just as we seem to be paralyzed 
beforehand. Uh, what do you think is the solution to this issue? You know, it's, it's a very challenging issue, normalcy bias, when it comes to the EMP attack, because, you know, let's say people want to get action on uh, gangland warfare in their community. Well, they're only going to start talking about it after there's been a few gang shootings, and then we go, oh, we have a problem here. So it has to, small versions of it happen for people to wake up for it to be a problem. The problem with the EMP attack is there could be some failed versions, there could be small versions. The worst case scenario, though, that takes down the whole North American grid, perhaps both East Coast and West Coast at the same time, could be the very first one. So there may not be these minor versions that wake us up to it. And that's the biggest challenge, talking about uh, and beating back that normalcy bias. So I think just having the conversations you know, we're having now hopefully wakens people up to it. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. And where can we find a copy of your book? Uh, my book, Pulse Attack, The Real Story Behind the Secret Weapon That Can Destroy North America, is available at Amazon.com. Simple as that. And where else uh, can we con- – or how else can we connect with your work? Uh, you can go to fury.ca, F-U-R-E-Y.ca, where I write oh, obviously mostly about Canadian politics, but about a lot of international affairs and some things going on uh, with my friends, you guys south of the border in, uh, in the United States. What else can we expect to see from you in the future? Well, you know, I'm definitely keeping on this issue because it's changing and there's action coming on electromagnetic pulse. And I think that's great news. I just hope it's uh, right action. And I'm, I'm working on a book about uh, radical Islamist terrorism right now and the various organizations in North America that uh, create subterfuge for them. Really alarming stuff that I hope more of my mainstream colleagues uh, pay attention to. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Anthony Fury, his book. Pulse Attack, the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America. Get it on Amazon. Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure. As an aside, I'm very encouraged by Anthony Fury and his work, being that he is a journalist and has the ability to reach so many people, many more than I can, certainly, from my little podcast podium here. And I'll tell you that the more people that Anthony can reach with regards to his message about the dangers of an EMP and the importance of strengthening our grid and anything that I can do to help him, believe me, I will. I think that this is something that's really important. I appreciate the efforts of Dr. William Graham, Dr. Peter Pry, and the other people that have been involved uh, with the EMP commission. I think that it was a travesty for the Department of Defense to disband it simply by not renewing its contract, even though it was a grand total of, I think, 300000 a year, to keep it going. I just don't understand that it. it actually frosts my cookies. And I'll tell you that we had better start taking this danger seriously because, believe me, North Korea is taking it seriously as a tool in their nuclear arsenal. That's all the time we have for this week's Survival Medicine Hour with... Hey, where are you going? Bye! 
<laughs> with Nurse Amy and Dr. Bones, Joe Alton, MD, and Amy Alton, ARMP boy. She's a busy, busy lady with a lot of chores that she has to do. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.